Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio, and I'm Allison Langer, a student in the class. And today I'm your host. I'm Andrea Askowitz. I'm the teacher of the class. Writing Class Radio is for people who love hearing true personal stories and want to learn a little bit about how to write their own stories. On this episode, we introduce Melissa Vincell. Melissa is one of our listeners who submitted an essay for our 2016 writing contest. The prompt was, a time I fucked up. Melissa wrote to us from Georgia. She started her writing career as a crime reporter, later had a travel column in a local paper, but in the story she submitted, she writes about something much more personal, her sexuality as a teenager. We chose her story because the writing was clear, easy to follow, and instead of the jilted lover, she was the jilter. It also ended well, not with a big wrap-up, but with a glimpse into her life today. By the end of the essay, she's answered Andrea's top three writing class questions, which are... What has the author come to say? Why is she writing this now? And how has she changed? My mom said, why did they use the word fuck up? Why didn't they just say messed up? (laughs) Well, because, I mean, you mess up all the time. But when you fuck up, I mean, that's, that's a big one. And this is the one. When I was a junior in high school, I plucked a daisy from my family's garden every morning and put it behind my ear. It became a thing, a symbol of my persona as Sweet Melissa. You know the song Sweet Melissa? But back home it'll always run to Sweet Melissa. To Sweet Melissa. That year, I was cast in a play written by Megan, a girl I'd known since I was 10. She was the weird girl who wore a leather pouch around her neck and wrote poetry and a play called Pressed Flowers about Shakespeare as a woman. She approached me in physics class and asked me specifically to audition. I didn't think about how we'd known each other for years but never spoken, or that we hung out in completely different groups. I just heard that she wanted me. So I went and spent the next two months wondering how I'd gone so long without her constant laughter and attention. At the cast party, we stayed up giggling until three in the morning. Everyone else had gone to sleep in Megan's basement. We finally headed to join them one sleeping bag between the two of us. I could sense she was awake, her breath inches from my nose. It must have taken us an hour to move those three inches toward each other, but we did, and finally, we kissed. It was 1997, the year Ellen came out on her TV show. I was sitting on the couch with my mom when it happened, and I nearly cracked, almost let my guard down about who I really was. Somehow, I kept silent, even though Megan and I had been together every afternoon that school year, sweating in the theater, in the park, under my covers. 
I didn't confess to anything, never got caught skipping school to laugh with her in the aisles of a thrift store. That type of teenage laugh makes me ache when it drifts through aisles now. We loved our time together so much that we collected artifacts from it. I wore a leather pouch around my neck, too, now, and dropped in pebbles from the streams we waded in, feathers from woods we rolled in. All of it, plus her meticulous journaling of every detail between us, naked nights and moonlight and the shade of my hair, all of it was either stapled, taped, drawn, or documented in her tiny, left-handed writing. By midwinter, there were two enormous spiral journals of us. I loved Megan, not because she was a girl and not in spite of it. I just loved her. And then I freaked out. I got scared by how devoted she was. She knocked on my window on Valentine's Day, but I ignored her. I spent spring break with a boy who drove big trucks. Throughout the next few months, no matter where I went, she was there, a little skulking figure with darting eyes. I would go hiking, and there she'd be. I would go to an outdoor concert, and there she'd be. I'd go to the sandwich shop, and there she'd be. When I went to a dance with a guy at a nearby college, Megan called the dorm and tracked me down. An adult supervisor knocked on my door and said, Megan's on the phone. A friend had a car accident. I kept my face neutral as a group of boys stood by, waiting to comfort me. None of them ever knew that the news was not of a friend bashed and dying in the hospital, but of Megan's own disaster. Her mother had found her journals. I don't know how she dealt with her mother finding out she was gay, because I cut things off completely. And so one summer night, she cut off the heads of my daisies, decapitated every single one. She left for college, and a year after I did too. Years seemed slow then, so that from one summer to the next we had grown up and it seemed possible to reconnect. She told me about the lesbians she had met at college. I told her I didn't want to get pregnant and was taking birth control. Each summer we thought we had grown up even more, found ourselves better able to deal with our intense connection. She could handle being in love with her best friend, and I could handle having a best friend who was in love with me. She moved to Amsterdam and met her Dutch partner, a woman who had been straight until Megan turned her, and they set up a full-on adult life in a crumbling row house. They got sleek cabinet pulls and little succulent plants, decorated in metal and whites. Ikea was her new thrift store. My best friend had become a woman. I went to visit, and then a year later I moved there, living in the tiny attic space she and her girlfriend offered me. The girlfriend would head to work, and down the staircase I would pad. I'd find Megan sitting at her desk, writing poetry, coffee, waiting for me. My goal for the months in the attic was to write, too, but biking to cafes and museums with Megan was all I wanted to do. When Megan's chain broke, I balanced her atop my own bike, got high just from being together. The arrangement was everything I needed. 
Megan and I were us again, and she had her girlfriend to sleep with at night. And then I started sleeping with a man. Things got tense. They got even worse when Megan and I decided to double date to an Ani DeFranco concert. I fainted from the heat and the beer, and it was Megan, not the man, who rescued me from being trampled. She was furious at the man, furious at me for being with the man and with someone who wouldn't take care of me, maybe even furious for being with someone other than her. The man offered me a place in his bed, so I packed up in a single day, just a week before Thanksgiving. Megan watched from her futon while I loaded my bike with clothes and my laptop. The girlfriend helped carry my stuff, shook my hand, and asked me to come back for one final meal of turkey and stuffing. So I went. The turkey looked nothing like an American bird. It was small and Dutch, and Megan looked nothing like my friend. She had shaved her head. After small talk, another guest asked Megan about her first time. I knew what she would say, and she did. I said, well, actually, I wasn't really Megan's first because we didn't have real sex. I stuck to it for 30 minutes, maybe 45. The girlfriend and the guest kept asking me to clarify. Finally, Megan stood, her eyes focused clearly for the first time on me. I was 24 then, not the girl she held at 17, the friend she had taught the word dildo to. I saw her loyalty, any remaining love, dissipate. The turkey sat sadly in the middle of us, embarrassed as I used its gaping hole and my prodding fork to explain why sex is this and there must be that, how sex couldn't be between two women, that it hadn't been between us. In just under an hour, I wrecking balled everything that Megan had built our relationship on. I discounted what every woman at that table did with lovers. I don't remember seeing Megan leave the table, can only sense her shadow over every Thanksgiving turkey now, my husband cutting the dark meat from the bone, my sons grabbing the legs. I love the ending in this story. We know immediately that Melissa has chosen a man, not a woman, to share her life with. And now, I want to know everything. I called Melissa and asked her how in the hell she ended up with a husband and two boys. I mean, hello, you're with Megan and doing the girl thing, and now you're married to a man? What's up with that? She told me that after Amsterdam, she traveled abroad for a couple of years, trying to find herself. During that time, she had a two-week fling with another woman, but was mostly with men. Eventually, she came back to the States. I moved back to be near my sister in Cleveland, Ohio. And um, I found my partner, my husband. I couldn't help but wonder if she missed the girl thing. I'm not a lesbian. I loved a woman. I don't know what to do with that. 
But I was curious because there was this one line in Melissa's essay that kind of said the opposite. She talks about the time she lived in Amsterdam with Megan and her girlfriend. Biking to cafes and museums with Megan was all I wanted to do. When Megan's chain broke, I balanced her atop my own bike, got high just from being together. The arrangement was everything I needed. Megan and I were us again. She says us. What is us? I had my best friend, and she got what she needed because she had a girlfriend, you know? So, like, that girlfriend fulfilled the girlfriend role, and I fulfilled the best friend role. It seems like what Melissa liked the most from the relationship was the emotional intimacy they shared, which she now has come to find with her husband. He's all the the stuff I got from Megan, like that wonderful best friend who I can be completely deep with and laugh with and just be with always. But he's he's a big, gorgeous man, and I love him for that part, too. Melissa and her husband have two boys. Her husband knew the story about Megan, but few people in her life did. I asked her why she decided to tell the story now. I wrote this piece because after the election, I was gutted. We live on a little island in South Georgia, and pretty much most of the people we know are... Republicans, if not Trump supporters, it felt very isolating. And then to think about myself as someone who has been with a woman, not just once, but twice, and what that could mean to my friends, I could be considered a lesbian, you know? And so it was an awful feeling knowing that I am a bigot. If I haven't stood up and said, I I have been a lesbian, I have had sex with a woman, then I was a bigot. I was just as bad as Trump, it felt like. And so when this came across my screen, a time you fucked up, it just was so right there in my face. When she learned her essay had been chosen for this podcast, Melissa told her parents the truth for the first time about what really happened with Megan back in high school. They know I I won a contest and that I was going to be interviewed. And they said, oh, what's it about? Is it... Is about that time you did that awful audition and it went so bad and you really messed up. And I said, no, that's, that's not what it's about. <laughs> and so it took me a good two and a half weeks to tell them because I was a 16 year old again. I was reliving all of those fears that I felt on the couch sitting next to my mom when Ellen came out. You know, it was a really scary thing to do 20 years ago. And certainly as a 16-year-old to say that you were gay. And the fact that I wasn't really gay, but sort of felt like I might be, there's a lot of fear there. I told some friends around here, and they were fine. They were like, who cares? We've all experimented, you know? But it wasn't experimenting. That's the thing is it wasn't experimenting. I mean, I loved her. It really was about this person who was fantastic as a person. And it was just the best friend I'd ever had up to that point. I just, I had never felt like completely, I don't know. I mean, you know, when you're 16, everything's confusing. I had, you know, had sex with a a fella who was a jerk, and I was just scarred, and then I met Megan, and 
it seemed like it was a little safer because there wasn't a penis involved and she was my friend. I mean, she was my friend first of all. I had no idea that we were going to be sexual. And then when we were, it was like utterly confusing, but I adored her and I didn't know. I trusted her and she told me I was a lesbian because she was a lesbian. When I was with Megan, I was with her and I was her best friend and more. I wasn't thinking anything in that moment that was confusing. I was just there. Afterwards, around the dinner table with my family and in the hallways with my friends who were talking about going to basketball games or, you know, parties and where was I? Everyone wanted to know, where are you? Where are you all the time? Well, that's when it got confusing because I couldn't say because I was, number one, Megan wasn't out and number two, I certainly wasn't out. I wanted to know what Melissa thought the real fuck up here was. Specifically, the fuck up was the turkey and the Thanksgiving and and saying that women couldn't have sex because there wasn't a penis and vagina. I I just remember, you know, really, really hammering at home. I was not going to let up. I don't know why. I don't know if I believed it completely then or if I was put into a really tight spot. I didn't respect or honor her and her feelings. I mean, I know the guy that was my first was a total jerk. And I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be somebody's first. And it made it a little bit more complicated since she was a female. After she won the story contest, Melissa reached out to Megan via Facebook and apologized. She was lovely. She said, thank you for the apology. I sent it back to my younger self. And, you know, she appreciated it. And, um, yeah. I asked Melissa what it was like writing this story. I was not wanting to share. You know, I'm not someone who just shares all about my sexual escapades. I'm not really into that. I don't. I write poetry. You know, you can hide a lot in poetry. And travel stories. You know, you can hide a lot in travel stories. It's not about you necessarily. Certainly you're in it. But memoir is something I stay away from. It's not that I'm not brave enough, but it might be. It might actually be I'm not brave enough. Or I haven't been brave enough. And I also don't want to, I don't want to out people. It's really hard for me to think about telling this story, not just because it affects me, but because of all the people it could affect. You know, my children, mother-in-law. You know, like there's, there's a lot of people that this could really affect. But in the end, I felt like it was more important to apologize and to own this and to change in history what I believe sex is between two people. I was just so wrong at 24. I wondered if writing this story opened her up to writing more personal stories. I am now going to every year ask myself, you know, what was your fuck up? Like, what did you do this year that you really need to think about? And sometimes it takes 12, 15 years um, to understand that, but it's certainly worth the prompt. Thank you for listening to Writing Class Radio. We hope you've enjoyed hearing from one of our listeners. Look out for our next contest. The prompt has not yet been revealed. If you'd like to participate in one of our workshops, visit our website. If you'd like to participate now, 
here's the prompt for this episode. Write about a person from your past and how they changed you. Write for 10 minutes, record what you wrote into the voice memo of your phone, and send it to us at info at writingclassradio.com. Your response could air on this podcast. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Diego Saldana Rojas, Andy Benoit, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Daniel Correa. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. If you don't like the prompt I just gave you, pick one of the daily prompts from our website or follow us on Twitter at WRTG Class Radio. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.